Hi, I'm Suparna Goswami. I'm Associate Editor with Information Security Media Group. I have with me today Kunal Sahagal, who is Ex-Managing Director, Asia-Pacific at GRF. And today we will talk about cyber threat intelligence and how one should put that into practice. Kunal, such a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you, Suparna. Good to be here. So Kunal, first, why don't you give us a brief background about your experience in this field of cyber security and cyber threat intelligence? Yeah, sure. Would love to. So Suparna, I've been in cyber pretty much all my life. I post-graduated from, from at a time when cyber wasn't even that mainstream and there weren't even that many cyber-related programs. But anyway, I found something that I liked, post-graduated from there in Canada, and I've been associated with in the cyber sector since. I got involved with cyber threat intelligence relatively recently, about four, five, six years ago. And this is uh, this is the time when I was working with financial organizations and there was a lot going on in terms of collecting intelligence, collaborating with each other, and basically figuring out how to keep ourselves one step ahead of the adversaries of the threat actors. And this is also a time when Global Resilience Federation wanted to launch in Singapore, headquartered in Singapore for Asia Pacific region. And they got in touch with me first for FSISAC, which is Financial Services ISAC. And the mission was to set it up over here. And then very, very soon thereafter, we set up one more within Singapore for Asia Pacific. This was OT ISAC for operational technology. So two ISACs have been running very successfully even today. And I'm very, very proud of being associated with both of them. And in, just for the sake of clarification, an ISAC is nothing but a a community, a non-profit community where members come together for the sake of threat intelligence. So it's mem- it's for the members, by the members, run by the members, where the idea is to come together, share information with each other, inform others what they are noticing in their respective organizations so the others can benefit from that kind of intelligence. Sure. Thank you for that. So Kunal, coming back to the topic, cyber threat intelligence. Now, with my interaction with practitioners out there. We know that financial industries is far ahead when compared to other industries when it comes to leveraging cyber threat intelligence. What I wanted to check with you is how are other industries leveraging it and what does it mean to them? Other organizations from other industries, are they able to benefit from it? Yeah, I agree with that. So at least in my experience, what we have seen is financial sector has been maybe one step ahead of others, two steps ahead of others, maybe. And this could be a recognition of the fact that the regulations within the financial sector have been quite quite mainstream. We've, we've been seeing uh, regulations come out and especially in terms of cyber hygiene, in terms of cyber portfolio, some kind of mandates as well. So cyber sectors, we saw they move towards intelligence and some other cutting edge uh, technology as well, much sooner than and much more swifter than some other domains and industries. Now, as a as one example, I've been in touch, I was in touch with some OT related industries and sectors and the discussions with them were very nascent. I, I remember speaking to some of the CISOs and the question was, okay, tell me what is intelligence? Tell me what is threat intelligence? Tell me what is cyber threat intelligence? And eventually the conversation was, okay, this makes sense. This is great. What do I do with this, right? How do I action it? So it was almost like going back to the ABCs. And that was a phenomenal experience, right? Because in my mind, it takes you back to the root saying, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And how are we tr- helping the organizations get there? And this was the conversation you had with enterprises across Asia, right? Yes, so I should qualify that. My the, the both the ISACs that I was working on setting up both were scoped for Asia Pacific region. Yes, great. And as you said, that enterprises did ask you this question: that how do they actually put in practice that cyber threat intelligence data that they get? So I want to ask you the same thing: what things? 
under cyber threat intelligence do CISOs need to be aware of? How does a CISO put into action and adopt a successful threat intelligence program? Okay, great. Superb. And I would be phenomenally happy to answer that. So let's try and understand the, the problem statement first before we come to one potential solution, which is threat intelligence. So let me put some facts out there. And I hope every single person within ISMG and even in your audience would relate to it. Now, first fund- fundamental problem that we have is that it is a known fact we have a shortage of staff within the cyber sector and this has this has become even the problem has become even more acute because of pandemic and after pandemic but sure it it it's used to be there even before that um, to put some numbers out there there there's st- statistics that say there's a shortage of staff is between 1 million and you know upwards now the second problem that we saw especially during pandemic and that's there's a reason why people call this the cyber pandemic is almost overnight the organizations had to switch on work from home mode right uh, they had to make their internal networks available that can be connected by this uh, that can be connected to by the staff working remotely from home and a lot of these organizations were not prepared either they were not prepared because of tech they were not prepared in terms of education awareness staff awareness in terms of what are the risks of working from home and how do we uh, make sure there's a fundamental cyber hygiene in many many cases what we saw was the internal tech platforms that the organization had were designed in a way that it was secured within a high wall right you have a high wall a high wall, which is blocking external traffic and those assets were only you could only connect to them within the organization and as soon as you take off the walls and allow the connections to come in from outside the the threats are very different right so said differently what happened was a surface area went up the attack surface area went up for an average organization the cyber staff was always in shortfall and hence it it became even more acute and now we have a situation where your organizations users are not even aware what what threats they need to keep an eye out keep a lookout for you know what they should be aware of so the, the whole thing got added up got multiplied to a degree that there are numbers out there that said we saw the attack number of attacks go up by by like 3x in some countries three times of what it used to be then attacks went up just because of covid and you know this is the new normal now not that is going to go down anytime soon if your organization is running a methodology where the cyber team is responsible for looking at one threat after another after another they basically go from one ticket to another one incident to another it's only a matter of time you're going to get hit right that's not a reflection on the quality of your staff that's not a reflection on your tech capabilities it's just permutation and combination there are only so many attacks your team is successfully going to defend against before inevitably your defenses will fall and that is so, where the cyber threat intelligence come really into picture for the long term right mm-hmm. so threat intelligence moves the paradigm by almost 180 degrees the question now we should try and answer is why wait for an incident to occur why wait for an alert to happen why wait for the the your sim tool or your so tool to start blinking red and yellow lights before you do something why not be proactive about it sure kunal so like you said how do they put in action uh, the actual data so what steps need to be taken then right and if you were to take a look at the academic part of the superna you'll see that there are different kind of threat intelligence you go from strategic threat intelligence and all the way to technical and operational threat intelligence now at least in my experience what we've done is we start with a very pragmatic approach so a lot of organizations would find it very hard to absorb strategic threat intelligence and and 
you know put that into their own organization perspective and put be able to operationalize it so just to give you an idea right when when the uh, the geopolitical tension started between russia and ukraine a lot of strategic intelligence came out that we're going to see cyber attacks go up within that within that vicinity right including the the, the eastern part of europe including poland and the neighboring areas and that's exactly what happened right we knew that we knew that uh, russia is going to see a higher amount of cyber tension and we knew ukraine is going to see a higher amount of cyber tension but that's a strategic angle of it and a lot of organizations would say how do i action this how do i put this into practice it's quite complex but then there's another angle right which is your your technical indicators we call them iocs and iots so these are the indicators which are relatively speaking easy to action and a lot of threat intelligence providers a lot of isac communities a lot of your countries regulators would be pushing these indicators to you so my question to the organization is start from there do you have the capabilities of taking in these ioc iots which are technical indicators in some cases these are fingerprints of an attack they are in some cases they are fingerprints of what a new variant of malware looks like or what a new ip address or range of ip addresses where the threat actors are are pushing pushing their attacks from are you able to take in that kind of intelligence are you able to action it either a automatically or with as little human inter- human intervention as possible again depending on the maturity of the organization the answer could be somewhere between yes and no right it's a spectrum i've seen organizations where they literally have to manually look at every single iot ioc iot they receive they look at it manually and they figure out if they if their own organization could be at risk and i've seen organization who have this whole thing automated to a degree that next to zero human intervention is required which is great right but that's where you start with but then comes a more one step forward right we, go, we we do not stop there once your organization is good with that is is has that fundamental level of maturity in place where all these technical and what i call low hanging fruits are being actioned in a timely manner the next conversation is let's not stop there right it's trivial to change ip addresses it's trivial to change the the uh, the fingerprint of a malware so how do we get better at protecting ourselves the answer is ttps or which is called the the tactical threat intelligence piece right so ttps are nothing but tactics uh, techniques and procedures that the attackers and the adversaries are using so how do we understand those ttps how do we translate them into our organization and make sure they are actioned so that instant instead of blocking a particular threat instead of blocking one particular malware we are looking at an adversary as a team as an organization and we are looking at an adversary as a group and we are saying this to protect against this adversary this is what we need to do to protect ourselves against this particular threat actor this is what we need to do right it could be a little bit more complex but eventually to once you start actioning from that perspective a lot of the groundwork goes away right a lot of automation can can be done and basically your your staff is much better equipped at at managing any incoming threat sure and you said that ttp is putting that is slightly tough what about organizations who are not part who are not part of the financial industry who are from a manufacturing company so what are the challenges they face while putting this into practice and how can they overcome it i would say a lot of organizations have had challenges looking into ttps including financial sector sure but definitely non financial sector as well now speaking about manufacturing or speak, speaking about uh, critical national infrastructures right where we have operational technology being implemented the fundamental question that comes in is at least at one point of time this question used to come in is how you know how is this relevant for us where our ot networks are segregated from it networks right so meaning a threat on the threat on the it network it's very complex to push it over to ot or other way around right and i think that 
that era is slowly go- going away if not already has gone away it's very difficult to now bifurcate the two networks and basically there's a lot of convergence between the two so to answer your question yes it's going to be as applicable on the ot side as it side in for some organizations manufacturing including and uh, manufacturing included and other national critical infrastructures as well is going to be a, a combination of both that the organizations need to look at right i mean the fundamental question every organization should, should start with is what are my crown jewels where are my crown jewels what is an adversary going to be interested in and if it's a bank you can understand that question a little bit easier if you're a health organization at one point of time the question was oh we don't have anything attackers are interested in that era is over medical data health data is of absolute high value in some cases it's of more value than even credit card data so you need to understand where your data is where your crown jewels are what an adversary is after and basically what you need to do to protect yourself excellent and kunal how can enterprises essentially make a compelling business case for more investment in cyber threat cyber intelligence capabilities right and it's it's one of those questions that has been asked by senior executives even goes up till the board saying how do we and it's, it goes beyond threat intelligence the question typically goes you know how do we justify more investment in in cyber right do we really need this new piece of technology do we really need this new piece of control do we really need investments in cyber threat intelligence program so on so forth and it's a valid question and sometimes it's difficult to quantify it in the sense in terms of dollar versus risk it's hard to say this is going to cost sorry it's easier to say it, this program is going to cost x and this gives value why it's sometimes is difficult but a lot lots of ways of doing it i must say now one of the examples i give to the people who have discussed this with me is take a look at your competitors take a look at your peers see what incidents they have had what public in, publicly known incidents they have had estimate how much would it cost you if that were happened to you right let me take that in, let me take one example there was a good old era where shipping logistics companies were like cyber is of very little importance to us cyber risks are very of little importance to us because well this is how we operate and then of course very famous example of musk happened and the the entire industry changed overnight so here's my question for you if you were in that you if that were incident were to happen to you how much would it have, would it have costed you your organization and how much would a new cyber investment protect against those kind of attacks again a lot of this could be uh, could be estimates but in my mind these are smart estimates right you're not pulling a number from thin air you have some data to back up you can say organization x who's a very close competitor of mine had this kind of a cyber attack they had a ransomware attack they had some kind of advanced persistent threat kind of an attack or whatever this is what happened to them they were this is the kind of outage they had this is the kind of public scrutiny they had this is the kind of uh, legal uh, sanctions or compliance issues some kind of class action lawsuits whatever this is what they ended up it ended up costing them and you know what with this new program that we wish to launch we can reduce that risk by let's say 80% 90% and of course it would never be perfect right so if you can have that kind of a conversation with your board with your senior executives it does make discussions much easier my final question you said cyber threat intelligence is still nascent so what kind of conversation are you having now with practitioners on cyber threat intelligence how has that evolved say post pandemic how is that uh, how has the conversation evolved hmm. yes within asia i still think they are quite nascent and let me start with my experience of isac right the the benefit of an isac is they are non profit they are vendor neutral they are not inclined towards one piece of technology versus other right and it's it's very easy to say why there would be value in in an, a member community where you know group of companies come together and discuss the latest cyber threats 
or they come together and discuss a specific problem or, or in some cases come together to to address a certain threat you can very very easily see that value now the trouble that we have within asia is a bit uh, cultural and i feel it's a bit a bit also a cognizant of the local laws and regulations now i've had cases where the organizations tell me it is to disclose or share my threat intelligence data that would be that would be illegal for me or it would it would bring in sanctions or my regulator would not be happy if i were to do that or gdpr doesn't allow i mean how many times i've heard this gdpr doesn't allow me to share all of that is incorrect it's just your perception saying at least no regulator in asia prohibits this gdpr explicitly has a clause that says sharing in intelligence uh, in sharing indicators for threat intelligence purposes is completely fine the one facet to this, your question suparna is that it's the misconception of what what the law of the land or what the regulation of the land is the second misconception the second problem that i would say is a bit cultural as well it, it just so happens within asia it's very hard for to make an organization more vocal in terms of tell us what's what you're noticing and you know tell us what kind of threats you're noticing so on versus it's a little bit easier in some other parts of the world and that's just a reflection on culture sure. the only other thing i want to add over here subana is that we have to remember that threat intelligence is not equal to incident i have to repeat that the kind of information you should be sharing with your networks should be sharing with your isacs with your regulators it cannot be you should not be considering that as confidential if my organization faced a, a technical attack from ip address 1 and the hash of the malware was abc xyz there's nothing wrong with sharing that information that does not mean i had an incident that does not mean i did not have an incident all i'm trying to say is this is what we noticed and maybe we, my organization was smart enough to defend against it that does not mean the next organization is going to be equally smart but once we start sharing these kind of information we collectively become stronger and let's all also remember that there the adversaries are uh, the threat actors that we have are not lone wolves now there used to be a time right there used to be the your threat actors used to be a teenage boy in in his mother's basement that that era is over these are now professional organization they are run very very professionally they have proper teams they have responsibilities they have segregated duties and every person on the team is doing a different kind of a job and if they are working collectively i don't see why the the good guys can't work collectively so that's a good point that you share that threat intelligence does not equal to your sharing an incident that your that has happened with your organization it can be attempted attack doesn't necessarily have to be an incident that has happened that's a good point exactly and the the other call out i will have over the, here is there are many 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 vendors who are also providing threat intelligence information right depending on what tech you were using in your organization depending on what kind of sim or sort products you were using in your organization most likely they have these capabilities and all you need to do is switch it on okay does it help of course is that enough of course not there is no tech in this world who is going to that is going to suffice your organization the question is how are you using that in piece of information or that piece of tech and i would still recommend the organization and your listeners to be connected to their respective isacs their respective countries but if if they are not there yet right the maturity is not there yet at least have a conversation with your tech vendors and try and figure out what kind of capabilities they can they can offer sure kunal thank you so much it was lovely to meet you today and have this conversation on cyber threat intelligence and hopefully there's a lot that our audience here can take back from this conversation and we and we hopefully we'll see a lot more maturity in this field thank you suparna good to good to be part of this conversation thank you kunal you were listening to kunal sahegal for ismg this is suparna goswami